What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host, a mini-parasite's Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, from kitty tails to sperm whales, it's listener questions. You guys come up with some real brain-tickling questions, and I try to answer them. We're talking about house cats to lions and salmon to deep-sea vents. Discover this more as we answer the age-old question, is the answer to life bacteria poop? So, let's get to our first question, first question of the day. So, why do cats wag their tails when they're hunting or annoyed? Every time there's squirrels outside, the cats are almost creating a breeze holding still while wagging their tails around. This is from Will H. So there are two kind of butt area movements you might notice when your cat is hunting. Butt wiggles and tail twitching. The butt wiggle has a pretty simple explanation. It is your kitty cat aligning her feet into the perfect position for a well-executed pounce. Um, It also maybe helps them kind of warm up their muscles. It's not just house cats that do that little butt wiggle. It is also big cats and wild cats. It's uh, pretty funny and adorable to see. As for the tail twitching, it's interesting because cats use their tails uh, to communicate or express a number of emotions, which you may have noticed if you are a cat owner. Uh, A tail that is up, but smooth with a slight curve at the tip it probably means this is a relaxed kitty maybe attentive but at ease 
Whereas a tail that is up that is poofed out, it generally means a scared or agitated cat. Do not try to pet the cat. It will scratch your eyeballs out. A tail being whipped around can mean anxiousness or excitement. A twitching tail usually means that the cat is focused and interested in something. So if your cat is focused on squirrels while twitching or whipping her tail, she's probably very excited and interested because cats like to murder for fun. House cats, generally speaking, live off of not hunting but on the food that we give them, but they just enjoy hunting. It brings satisfaction to their murderous little hearts. Cats love murder. And so when they see a potential murder victim outside, they get excited. So uh, as to why this twitching happens in terms of like, does it serve any purpose? I don't think there's really any evidence that the tail twitching helps with their hunting at all. Unlike the other tail positions, which can communicate with other cats or with humans what they're feeling, like when it's poofed up, that helps communicate to other animals, like I'm angry. And it also makes them seem bigger so that they can scare off potential foes. That twitching tail, I don't think I've seen any real compelling research that it has anything to do with anything, really. It may just be an expression of their excitement sort of like when we bounce our knees because we're excited or nervous or tap our fingers because we're impatient it may just be their excitement and and, and anticipation kind of bubbling out through their tail muscles so uh, another question is i've heard of scary creatures like vampire bats that are actually sweethearts which share blood to more hungry members of its cauldron as well there are beautiful creatures like milkweed butterflies that are horror fests which feed on their own babies are there any other examples of good monsters and snow white stepmoms out there in the animal world Thanks. This is from Michael D. from San Antonio. Great question. I agree with you so much on this. Uh, vampire bats are sweet, precious little angels. They share food with each other. They'll like give each other little back rubs, little scratches, and then exchange blood meals. So if a vampire bat missed a meal, they have very rapid metabolisms and missing a meal can be really dangerous, if not fatal. So they have this great system of friendship where they will share meals with their friends and that is kind of a social safety net for these bats. And a lot of bat species actually babysit. It's called alloparenting where unrelated adults will help look after young and it's it's just they're such harmonious little creatures. They actually are pretty chill in terms of sort of big social groups, animals like they are one of the types of animals that tend not to fight that much. I mean, there are fights, there is bickering, but they're pretty chill, pretty, pretty sweet. They have nice dispositions. And indeed, there are many examples of beautiful but scary animals and horrifying looking but sweet creatures. So like bald eagles are majestic looking, beautiful and regal, but their little babies, as cute little white puffballs, will kick each other out of the nest. 
There's also Shrike's, a cute little bird that looks like an innocent little songbird who will impale their prey on thorns. Sometimes their prey is still alive and just left to languish until they die. Meanwhile, something as frightening as a scorpion will often carry their babies on their backs or even sacrifice themselves for their young. And there are species of social spiders who all work together to make giant webbing to house their young and it helps protect them and it also helps protect the newer generations. So you definitely cannot judge a book by its looks. Uh, indeed, uh, as Michael D. pointed out, milkweed butterflies, as beautiful as they are, are pretty horrifying in terms of their behavior. They will rip open caterpillars of their own species. And remember, caterpillars are the babies. They are the young, juvenile version of these butterflies before they go through metamorphosis. But yeah, the adult butterflies will rip open caterpillars of their own species and drink their sweet, delicious inner goop, uh, basically the blood and fluids of these caterpillars, like they're sucking out the jelly from a jelly donut. Male milkweed butterflies will do this to get an easy meal and a lot of nutrition to help increase the vibrancy of their colorful wings and their fitness to attract females. So literally eating babies to improve their pickup game. Real nice. Nice job. Meanwhile, horrifying looking insects like earwigs are extremely sweet and caring mothers watching over their young for months without eating any food just to protect them from predators and pathogens. And there are some great insect dads too. Male giant water bugs will carry their eggs on their backs to protect those eggs. And looking at them is pretty horrifying. It's like a trypophobe's worst nightmare. Trypophobia is the fear of a bunch of sort of sequential holes or bubbles. Um, but yeah, it, it is kind of upsetting looking as it is a weird looking kind of diamond-shaped insect with a bunch of squishy, shiny eggs on its back. But this is such a sweet act of fatherhood. And, uh, of course, there's also a little black beetle. It's kind of intimidating looking. It's got this really um, tough armor. It's called Lethrus apteris. Uh, but despite looking, you know, kind of um, tough and... Um, like it's just kind of pugnacious. They are actually extremely sweet and caring parents. The mother guards the eggs and the father guards the entrance to the burrow. And the father will protect the burrow from any invaders. And these beetles will fight to the death to protect their eggs. So uh, there was a study that looked at these beetles and were, they were wondering, you know, why these beetles they're they're relatively small maybe like about the size of your thumb maybe a little thicker but shorter and they are they actually are able to fend off much larger uh animals uh to prevent them from entering this burrow and researchers were wondering well why do they have such a high success rate at defending these burrows despite their size and it turns out uh, this research seemed to determine that they were just so much more dedicated in the fight because they had something to fight for. Their family is so cute. 
So it's funny. I mean, nature, you know, sometimes something that's beautiful will be a real nasty animal. Sometimes something that's ugly will be a really sweet, wonderful animal. Sometimes something that's ugly is also just a mean, terrible animal, and something that's pretty is a sweet animal. It's just, you just don't know. You can't, you can't know until you really get to know them, you know, sit down, have a little coffee, you know, just get to know your local insects and talk to them. Find out what they're all about. Um, and while you do that, we're going to take a real quick break. And when we get back, we're going to answer more listener questions. More listener questions. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. So welcome back to the show. Uh, This listener question is from one of my younger listeners, Charlie who wants to be an astronomer, naturalist, and even more when he grows up. And he has a bunch of questions. Uh, he actually only asked me to answer one. Uh, he gave me a bunch of questions to choose from. But hey, guess what, Charlie? I'm going to try to answer them all. Let's see if we can do this. All right. I drink, drank some coffee. I'm ready to go. Here we go. First question from Charlie. Why do rhinos have horns? Very good question. Rhinos use their horns for a bunch of different things. I mean, it's kind of like asking, why do humans have thumbs? So they use their horns for self-defense. They use it for digging up roots or even digging for water. They can use them to break branches to get out some tasty vegetation. They will also use them socially in dominance displays to try to ward off competitors without having to get in a fight. Uh, males will use them to attract females and to defend their mates. And females will use them to defend their young. 
or also to help guide their young. So they gently nudge their babies with their horns to direct them in a certain way, you know. So yeah, it's just an all-purpose utility tool. Next question, why are cheetahs so fast? So why cheetahs are fast from an evolutionary perspective is so they can outrun prey. So predators, despite being fierce, actually have a pretty hard job. They, have, they often have quite tough lives because they have to catch prey. They have to eat a lot of meat to survive. And so they have to have a really good advantage both against prey and other predators so they can outcompete them. Uh, so you look at different big cat species and you see each of them has some kind of advantage. So lions have the advantage of their incredible size. They also have a social structure where they live in groups and they will hunt together. Jaguars of South America have the most incredible jaw strength of any big cat, capable of cracking open skulls. So they can, they're basically ambush predators. They'll like drop out of the tree, grab some poor little thing, and can crack open its head. Uh, Margays, which are a much smaller spotted cat, they kind of look like ocelots, if you know what that is. But yeah, they're a much smaller, sleeker little spotted cat. They also live in South America. They are very graceful and skilled tree climbers, and they can basically walk up a tree vertically like they're defying gravity. And they can mimic the cries of baby monkeys to lure in the adult monkeys and eat them. So devious and graceful, like some kind of little assassin. So as you can see, all those wild cats have some kind of advantage that helps them hunt, whether it's strength or agility or guile. So cheetahs are specialized for incredible speed over impressive distances, giving them a huge advantage when it comes to chasing down prey. In terms of how they're so fast, in terms of physics, we have to look at their anatomy. So first, their respiration and circulatory systems are specialized to provide their bodies with adequate oxygen for being able to run. So they have large nasal passageways and a huge heart to draw in oxygen and pump blood effectively. Also, their bodies are aerodynamic. They have this small triangular head and a long, smooth, sleek body and a sort of medium-length, stocky tail that works as a rudder to help them control their movements in high-speed chases. So their legs are also longer proportional to their body versus other big cats, allowing them larger strides, and the bones of their lower legs are actually designed to limit rotation. This sacrifices their climbing ability to actually allow them to run faster without losing their footing and tripping. Their spinal vertebrae are highly flexible and can stretch to allow them huge strides while running. So basically, they can launch themselves like little feline rockets off the ground and travel a huge amount of distance in a single stride, sometimes up to 13 to 23 feet or 4 to 7 meters. It's like they're running with a bunch of long jumps. So not only are they great at maintaining speed, but they can accelerate much more quickly than their prey. 
So while they can run up to speeds of around 55 miles per hour or 88 kilometers an hour during a hunt, the average speed of a cheetah is only around 33 miles an hour or 53 kilometers an hour during a single sort of chase. So the reason this is is that the cheetah accelerates extremely quickly at the start of the chase then slows down as it catches up to its victim. So basically give it all they've got at the very start, catch up to that poor uh, little gazelle or springbok, and then as they're closing in on them, they can slow down their speed and make a grab for them. All right, question number three. Why do some fish live in freshwater and others in salt, and how do salmon do both? Charlie, this is an excellent question. So the question of why they would live in freshwater has to do with ecological niches that animals find. So basically, if there is a livable space on the planet, like an area on this planet Earth where life can physically live, they will do it. They will find a way to exploit it. That's because competition selective pressures elsewhere are always going to drive animal species all around the world to find a niche that they can exploit and they can compete in. So that's why we have mammals that could live in a desert or live in a rainforest in these very different areas of the planet with very different environments. And yet they are going out and they're finding these niches and they are evolving to be able to survive there. So uh, fish are actually an incredibly diverse group of animals that have this really long time span of evolution, much longer than a lot of species alive today in, in the uh, mammalian uh, class and, and other classes of animals. So some fish are actually more related to us, like more related to mammals, uh, than they are to another fish. So they, these are just an incredibly diverse group of animals. Um, and so it is pretty likely that these fish that have been uh, going through evolution for so long are going to venture from the ocean to these rivers. Um, so it was basically inevitable the way that river systems work is they actually connect to the ocean, and as they go inland, the salinity of the water goes from being, you know, salt ocean salt water to more brackish and lower salinity gradients until you get to fresh water. So, you know, a fish that is a, a sea-dwelling fish could venture into these uh, where these rivers meet the ocean and be fairly okay. So that gives a lot of room for sort of uh, evolution to help them start to survive in these lower salinity environments. So basically, because you have there's so many fish in the sea, it's almost inevitable that fish are going to find their way to this river. And because animals, nature pours a vacuum, animals will always try to find a niche to exploit because it's got resources, it's got space. Uh, they they will find that and they will go into these freshwater areas and then they will adapt to them. So. Interestingly, there is a greater diversity of freshwater species as compared to ocean species of fish. So there are more species of freshwater fish than there are in the ocean. In fact, 40, I think about 40% of species of fish are actually freshwater fish, which is incredible 
despite the fact that the ocean covers so much more of the land, so proportional to how much fresh water there is, there are way more species per you know square unit of fresh water as compared to the ocean. So the reason for this is actually because fresh water environments are constantly changing. You know, when you look at time on a much larger perspective. So uh, the the rivers and freshwater systems are changing due to erosion, seismic activity, flooding, uh, and even the activity of animals like beavers or humans. And meanwhile, the ocean remains relatively stable. Yeah, it, it changes a little bit, but it's a much more stable environment than, say, rivers and streams and ponds. Um, so, uh, and you'll have like a river, you know, get blocked off, right? So you could have a population of fish that's in a river and then that river, like maybe a, a tree falls off or there's a landslide. Now you have this little, this lake or something that is now separated from the river and then, uh, you know, you have a separation of this population of fish, and then that can help speciation, where you have one species become two species because they're physically separated and they will encounter different environmental pressures. So now on to uh, the other part of your question about salmon. So most species of fish tend to be either freshwater or saltwater. If you try to stick a freshwater fish in a saltwater aquarium or vice versa, they will die. Very likely they'll die pretty quickly due to the effects that the high salinity or low salinity has on their specialized cells, causing their cells either to explode or implode. But some fish are anadromous, meaning they spend most of their lives at sea, but then migrate to freshwater to reproduce. And their young start off life as freshwater fish and then migrate to the ocean as adults. Salmon are a great example of this, as are sturgeons, herrings, smelt, and some species of eels. So the way that salmon and other anadromous species of fish manage to live in both Saltwater and freshwater are adaptations that help with osmoregulation. Osmoregulation is managing the osmosis of water and salt in our cells. So in animal cells, the cells that we have, the cells that other animals have, like to have, they like to maintain equilibrium. So they like to have equal amounts of salt and water inside the cell as outside the cell. So the concentration of the concentration of the salt in the water inside the cell likes to be the same as outside of the cell. So if that concentration is different, you'll have water moving across the cell membrane to make it more or less equal. So that is called osmosis. So water will um, leave the cell uh, if there is a higher concentration of salt outside the cell, or it will enter the cell if there's a higher concentration of salt inside the cell. So if the water, so if a saltwater fish is dropped into fresh water, it's a problem because uh, water in its system is less salty than the inside of the cell. So the saltwater fish used to a more salty environment. Its cells have more salt inside of them. You drop it in fresh water, suddenly the inside of their cells are saltier 
than the fluid outside of their cells. And what happens? Water rushes into their cells, causing them to explode, which is bad for the life of the fish. So freshwater fish have the opposite problem. In salt water, the water outside their cells is more salty than inside. And so water leaves their cells trying to reach equilibrium and that causes their cells to shrink, which is also bad for the life of the fish. This kills the fish. So the way that salmon and other anadromous species of fish avoid this horrifying fate is through osmoregulation. So managing the osmosis of water and salt in their cells using other organs and other processes. So first uh, strategy that salmon and other anadromous fish employ is drinking. You may not think that fish need to drink, but ocean fish that live in salt water actually do drink because they need the hydration. Freshwater fish actually don't really need to drink. They get enough water passively as it kind of uh, infiltrates their body. And it's they, they live in a low salinity environment, so they don't need extra hydration through like drinking water and then trying to process out the extra salt. So um, a salmon or another anadromous fish will drink water when they're in the ocean, but then they stop drinking as soon as they go into freshwater environments. Because if they start, if they continue to drink the water, if they were in freshwater, they would have that problem of there being too much of that saline free water in their system trying to rush into their salty cells. <laughs> so this is not sufficient, though, to prevent them from becoming victims of this uh, osmosis gone wrong. So they have some very clever adaptations at the cellular level. Their gills actually produce an enzyme that creates energized molecules that will transport salt against the rules of osmosis. So they use energy to pump salt out of the salmon's bloodstream. Another thing working in the anadromous fish's favor is the gradient of salinity as freshwater river meets the ocean. Remember how I said it's kind of nice that when a river meets the ocean, it's not just like freshwater than saltwater. You have this gradient as you go further into the freshwater area. And this maybe helps facilitate evolution, but it also helps with the life cycle of something like a salmon. Because the salmon, as it travels from freshwater to the ocean, it is going in the kind of gradient. So its body is adjusting to this higher salinity and vice versa. So there you go. That is a, it's such a like short question and such a big answer. But Charlie's got another couple of questions. And I want to get to those too because they are also very interesting. So uh, question number four is how do the animals around deep sea vents survive? This is a great question. Deep sea vents are hot and they produce sulfur and hydrogen. It's basically these mini volcanoes that are churning out this heat and and um, chemicals in the same way that like a like a volcano would and so they actually are producing sulfur and hydrogen and there are a special kind of bacteria that can feed on sulfur and hydrogen 
So bacteria will feed on this stuff that uh, something like an animal cannot eat. In fact, it can be very toxic. But these bacteria convert it into organic matter that an animal could actually use for energy. So clams and giant tube worms are actually in a symbiotic relationship with these bacteria. Now, you know what a clam looks like, but a giant tube worm is this really interesting thing. It looks like the pipe of a pipe organ, this huge tube, but it's an animal. And uh, they are in a symbiotic relationship with these sulfur and hydrogen-eating bacteria. The bacteria creates organic compounds as a byproduct that the clams and tube worms can get energy from, while the clams and tube worms provide shelter for the bacteria. It's like you and your house, like you feed your house and your house houses you, except your house is a clam or a tube worm. It's perfect. Beautiful. So now you've got a stew going because now that you have clams and tube worms able to survive down here, other animals can then eat the clams and tube worms. And then you've got larger animals eating on those guys and so on and so forth until you got a nice, nice big old, like, big old gumbo, big old pot of stew in the ocean. All right, the last question from Charlie is why do male lions, except the one in Savo, have manes? So it's because they look cool. Seriously, that is the reason. Lionesses think they look attractive. So basically, manes are something of a drawback for male lions because they add weight and are hot temperature-wise. They don't really provide much benefit to them. So only the strong and healthy lions can maintain a large, luxurious mane. And the lionesses think that is totally dreamy. You actually see this in birds as well. Male birds of paradise will sometimes have these incredibly elaborate long tails, which makes it harder to fly. It makes it harder to ward off parasites because you got more surface area that parasites can get on. And uh, But if the male bird of paradise is really healthy, then it can actually maintain this long tail, you know, and it will look splendid. And these female birds are like, wow, that's a beautiful tail. And anyone who has such a beautiful, ungainly, inconvenient tail must be pretty healthy to be able to have such a thing. It's a flex. They're flexing. Lions with manes are flexing. So with that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, another question. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. And we're back and it's time for questions about whales. That's That's my number one top hit of the day. Question about whales is what I call that song. So here's the question. Hello, Katie. I have some dumb questions about sperm whales. No, stop it. None of your questions are ever dumb. Don't you don't you do that. Don't you ever say your questions are dumb because they're not. I don't want to hear it. I don't want any of you telling me your questions are dumb because they're not. They're never dumb. No dumb questions. Unless you're like, hi, Katie, should I continue to breathe air? Yeah, that would be a little bit dumb. And do please do that because without air, you can't live no more. So keep breathing air. But otherwise, all your questions are not dumb. They're very good, and I love them, so shut up. Okay, here's the question. Why are sperm whales the largest thing deep in the ocean? I feel like, wouldn't fish inherently have an advantage because they don't have to breathe air? Is there something about mammals that makes them better at deep sea stuff? Also, do you think that whales will eventually evolve gills? When sperm whales come up for air, I assume it takes a few minutes. So when they decide to go up for air, are they timing it so they can barely make it with enough air? Or are they going whenever they have time? And this is from Frank W. This is a good question, Frank. Not not a dumb one. It's very good. I had to do some research about it. So here we go. So first of all, some fish do grow to be pretty big. Not as big as a sperm whale, but pretty big. Uh, So... For example, the whale shark. Um, and what you'll notice with the whale shark is it is not an ambush predator like great whites or other predator- predatory sharks. Whale sharks feed on large amounts of small fish, filter feeding, kind of like a baleen whale, uh, despite the fact that whale sharks and baleen whales are completely different animals. Whale sharks are fish. Uh, baleen whales are mammals. But they both filter feed. So in order to maintain a large size, I mean, an incredibly large size, you need to have plenty of nutrition and you need to outcompete other animals who want that same food. So whale sharks have these huge mouths and they suck in a bunch of tiny fish or plankton and filter out the water through specialized teeth. And in fact, the largest whales in the world are actually not a toothed whale like the sperm whale, but a baleen whale like the blue whale who also filter feeds. So this feeding method is good for sucking in huge amounts of nutrition. Even though each individual prey is very tiny, they're taking advantage of a huge amount of nutrition that exists in the ocean in the form of these little individual animals that have huge populations. So, but this does not answer why whales, generally speaking, 
tend to be larger than fish. And so it is actually the fact that they're mammals because it is the fact that they do breathe oxygen. So to explain, we have to go back to the Paleozoic, a time when the Earth was covered in far more oxygen than it is today. Dragonflies could be the size of hawks. We had these huge insects that we don't have today. But as oxygen in the atmosphere fell, insects got smaller because it was really hard for them to actually breathe and get in enough oxygen to maintain their bodies based on the way that their breathing works through these like weird little spiracles. Birds also helped. The existence of birds seemed to cut down on some of the larger, more slow, less agile insects, but so did the lack of oxygen. So getting enough oxygen to keep a large body alive is a limiting factor to growth. So it may seem that fish should have an advantage, right? They have gills. They can breathe whenever they want in the water. But this is not necessarily true. Extracting oxygen from water is harder than getting oxygen from air. Even though whales need to surface every so often to get oxygen What they do suck in every time with their massive respiratory system and massive circulatory system that can store that oxygen is much more significant and much more efficient than what fish can get through their gills. Basically, getting a deep breath of air every so often gets you more oxygen than constantly breathing with gills because breathing with gills is less efficient. And so whales are able to get enough oxygen to grow to be gigantic. And why would they want to get to be so big if it means that they need more food and oxygen? One of the reasons is that whales are mammals. They have to thermoregulate. And so they need to stay warm. And staying warm means more blubber and bigger sizes. Being bigger also gives you a huge advantage of not being a victim to predators. And for whales, being able to store a lot of oxygen in their bloodstream and not having to surface as often. So dolphins are smaller. They have to surface a lot more frequently than something like a sperm whale or a blue whale who can go long periods of time underwater without having to surface. So... Um, as to whether they're sort of rushing back to the surface whenever it's like, "Uh oh, I need need to breathe. I better go up. I don't really know the answer to this, but I, I looked into it and I think there's probably some wiggle room. Unlike our breathing, they have a much slower countdown clock, right? They have so much blood carrying oxygen in their massive bodies. It provides them so much oxygen So they usually surface at a rate of about 90 minutes between breath. So over an hour of just chilling out in the ocean. Uh, This is sperm whales. Uh, But some sperm whales have been noted to last for almost 120 minutes. So I think that seems to indicate that they may have an urge to come up and breathe well before they're going to run out of oxygen and die of oxygen deprivation, which would make sense because, you know, if you run into some obstacle, I don't know what would be an obstacle for a sperm whale. I don't know, a tenacious giant squid that, well, here's the thing, giant squid don't actually attack sperm whales. Sperm whales eat giant squid, and the only time they get attacked by giant squid is when giant squid are defending themselves. So anyways, 
I, uh, and as to whether whales are ever going to evolve gills, no. I, I don't think so, unless there is some huge change in the composition of the atmosphere, as if that'll ever happen. Um, because the thing is, gills are just less efficient than the whale's ability to respire with air into their lungs. Much more efficient. I don't think that they uh, would be better suited with gills. All right, so before we go, uh, one more listener question. Dear Katie, on a trip to the Austrian Alps last month, I saw a diving beetle. I had never seen it before outside of Animal Crossing, so I was shocked to encounter this slightly creepy bath toy of a beetle in real life. I'm curious how it breathes. Does it come up for air? How about its larvae? Do different insects have different respiratory systems? How did diving beetles evolve to become paddling danger submarines? This is from Merrill in the Netherlands. So, uh, yeah, this is, uh, I'm just going to do a real quick answer to this one, but it's real interesting. Before they dive, diving beetles uh, will get air bubbles trapped in their wing cases. So they have a portable air system. It's especially interesting when you consider that there is a theory that insect wings originally evolved from gills from their ancestors. So maybe in the case of the diving beetle, it could be that its wings were once gills and then they re-evolved into scuba gear. Evolution is crazy like that. You know, just likes to screw around. Go in loop-de-loops. So, um... I think I might, in terms of the mystery animal sound, I might be kind of mean and replay you last week's mystery sound because nobody has guessed the right answer. So I kind of wanted to give you another chance because this one, to me, it's one of my, my favorites because it's so shocking. Um, and so I'm going to replay the sound and I'll give you an even more detailed hint. First of all, it kind of matching the theme of these last two questions. The hint is this is under the water and it is uh, potentially someone trying to find his damsel in distress. So it's underwater and he's trying to find his damsel in distress. Here is the sound. All right, so it's not windshield wipers. Uh, I'll give you that one, a freebie. Um, but yeah, if you think you know the answer to it or want to guess, uh, send me an email at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also write to me on Twitter at creaturefeetpod. That's F-E-A-T, not F-A-E-T. Uh, I'm also on Instagram. <laughs> I'm also on Instagram at creaturefeaturepod. Uh, I am not as good at checking the messages on Instagram, but I do try. I try it. Uh, but the most reliable one is the Gmail. CreatureFeaturePod at gmail.com. But I, I will endeavor to check my Instagram more. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, feel free to send me in your questions. And the next time I do one of these listener questions, hey, maybe I'll answer yours. Maybe I'll answer it over email. Who knows? Who knows what will happen in this crazy world? Uh, if you're liking the show and you leave a review, I'll read it and it'll, it'll make my day. Um, and thanks so much to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina Creature Features, a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Wherever you listen to your favorite shows, I don't judge you. 
See you next Wednesday. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride The first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.